Hello, my name is Grant, and I'm lead pastor at New Song Church, uh, and have been for about three years now, uh, because about three years ago, I had the privilege of stepping onto this platform uh, in this church uh, as a candidate uh, for the very first time for the position of, of lead pastor. And what a week that was. Some of you probably remember it. I preached uh, messages during the two services on that Sunday. Uh, and had a series then of, of meetings and conversations with all aspects of the church for that entire week. And then I preached again on the following Sunday. And after that uh, service, there was a, a vote to affirm or reject the decision to call me as lead pastor. And uh, the congregation voted to affirm that calling, which I was very glad about because my family uh, also uh, affirmed it strongly. I just want to share a little picture of the day. This is after the vote, so we're, we're really happy. And, and I was really, really happy. But I think someone else in the picture was even happier than I was. Although perhaps, I'm not sure, is that a happy face? Well, that is Abby. And that is one of the twin daughters of our associate pastor, Melody, who you could be praying for because Melody just had surgery. Uh, this week. And so continue to pray for Melody and also for Abby because she's been having a few issues also. So let's pray for the Andersons. But uh, that time three years ago was a culmination of a long time of months of prayer and wrestling with God about whether he was truly calling myself and my family to again really uproot ourselves from the community that we were in uh, and leave that familiarity and that uh, predictability and move to an entirely new place, not just a new place in Washington State or whatever, which we'd done before, but actually Southern California, completely different culture, to minister in a new place with new people and actually carry out the work of his kingdom in new ways because I, I truly believe that the ministry and work in the, for the kingdom is contextual according to where God places you. And I never would have imagined that after only two short years of serving here with, with uh, this, this church, this community, that we would have entered into such a strange and challenging time as, as the one we have been in for the past year, for year three. And so now three years later, we're working our way through the Gospel of Mark and have been doing so since the beginning of the year. And when I read the text for this week, uh, what I was going to preach on, I realized that the passage in Mark that we have come to is the very same scripture that I used three years ago back on March 11th, 2018. And I thought, aha, this, that's interesting. Uh, this is the text. It's in Mark chapter four, if you want to read along. If you're watching this at nine o'clock on Sunday morning, then there's a Bible tab you can click on and use that or read through with your own Bible. And it's in uh, Mark chapter four, verses 35 to 41. And here's what Mark writes in this next section. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
So when I remember this, I actually went out and I dug out my notes from that message from three years ago. I, I keep a lot of uh, the sermons that I've, I've shared and, and read through the message and lots of memories came back. I also found these three sheets of paper that my daughter, Kira, had taken kind of like a diary of, of the events of that week from her perspective, which was really interesting. And I found out other bits and bobs that I had kept from that time three years ago. And I had memories came kind of back to me. I remember uh, the meetings I had with many people here, some of you. Uh, I remembered some really great conversations. I remembered our family's clear sense of calling to this place, uh, which, which still is resonant for us and, and very much present now. I remembered our first trip to Universal Studios, first time I'd ever been there and how exciting that was. And I remember the first plate of tofu pad thai that I had at the Lucky Elephant Thai restaurant in San Dimas, uh, the first of many, I might add. But most of all, I remember the point of the first sermon, the first message that I ever gave here that focused on this very passage that we have before us in Mark today. You know, back then I'd wrestled, as you can imagine, wrestled with what to share on that big day. And it had quickly become clear to me that there was only really one subject that I could talk about or that I should talk about because truly there's only really one subject that should be and is the central preoccupation of all of creation. It, and it's the thing that is most important about me, the most important thing for the church and its people in understanding who we are and what we're supposed to be about. And it's the central fact for all that we would be about together where I called into this ministry with the people here at New Song. And it's this, it's the person of Jesus Christ. You know, we focused this, this purposely this journey through Mark uh, like all the other scripture and the sermons and teaching that we have done this year has been very carefully considered and, and, and focused uh, to meet kind of the needs of this crazy year that we've been doing. We had a lot of prayer and intentionality in how we picked this. And we entitled the series through Mark, uh, This is Jesus, because we feel that it's the burning need of our time and our place to discover some answers to that simple question. Who is Jesus? And then furthermore, what does that mean for who we are? How do we live into that in these particular circumstances? Back in 2018, my sermon was entitled, Who is this? echoing the words of the disciples. And I focus on this question the disciples asked among themselves when this man, Jesus, who was sleeping during the storm, stands up in the midst of this tempest and with a simple word of command, calms the sea and the waves and leaves them frightened and wondering and sort of awe-stricken by, who is this? And it seems like back then in 2018, it was the culmination of a really hard time. There were two years of transition that New Song Church had been in and, and the church was emerging from these two years and moving into a time of real decision uh, and intentional forward movement in particular ways. And I think it feels like we're in that kind of place again. There's been a lot of... Uh, change and a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of stuff has been kind of broken apart and perhaps it's been difficult, right? But we're in this season now, we're trying to firm up on our plans for how we're supposed to move forward, who we are supposed to be, what are we meant to be prioritizing? We have been battered and sifted and pruned and tilled, disoriented, and yes, we are being reoriented. And we have been thinking very carefully in recent months, weeks, about what God is trying to change in us. And change is hard and change is always painful 
just as it was back for that, those two years prior to, to me even thinking about this potential time of being here with you guys. And, and we're in a similar time. But as we've been discovering, as we journey through the gospel of Mark, those who walk with Jesus will never know exactly what it is to, what is to come and must hold firmly to him and to one another in order to walk on that way of discipleship. And it's gonna involve constant stretching and regular surprise and it will become the normal experience of every person who wants to become a disciple to this one, Jesus. And so we're learning, we must resist the urge to look backwards with nostalgia and wish for the good old days. We've been trying to figure out what the fundamentals are, what it means to be a church, what it means to gather, what it means to sing and worship and pray and serve our community and till soil in the garden, etc. serve people at the pantry. And, and Jesus is central to this process. This is a message for three years ago, but it's also a message for today. It doesn't begin, this process does not begin with our preferences or our convenience or our limits. It begins, must begin, and, and all, everything through the middle and, and to the end with Jesus, his will, his plans, his priorities. A few weeks ago, we had about 30 new song leaders of ministry leaders, elders, and staff, and we gathered together on Zoom to imagine what our church community might look like in the future, to say, Lord, show us, give us a sense of imagination and creativity and innovation and joy about what we might be in the future for not ourselves, but for our community, for all those who need to know that there's a God who knows them and a God who loves them. And we did, first of all, this little word, this little exercise with words and just brainstorm words that might describe the kind of church we would like to see. And I wanna share that with you. My daughter, Kira, actually did the drawing for this. Uh, and we considered also these a 32-page set of uh, answers and ideas and reflections that had been gathered from all the leaders. And some of you had shared also from the questions that I posed to our congregation about what we might move into. Uh, and some clear insights arose from that time together that we want to pay attention to. Uh, we formed a team to prayerfully consider the place of, of music and the arts in our, in our mission here in New Song because we feel that the creative life and creative expression should occupy a central role in our community. Uh, and we're not going to start any kind of hiring process till we figure out what it is that, that we are supposed to be about, clearly know who we are and who we are becoming and where music and, and worship and arts take, uh, should take place there. And all of these things, Jesus is the focus. He should be the focus. We want to honor his will and depend on his grace and forgiveness and share it generously as we work our way through these things. Working according to his power, seeking to work according to his motives, recognizing and honoring his body, the church, in its diversity, each person's part in it with unity. And, and most seriously, we want to take responsibility for our own discipleship and participation with our mission as a primary means of encountering Jesus together. So this morning, you're gonna hear some echoes. If you were here three years ago or you wanna check it out on the website, listen to the message again, you'll hear some echoes of the message that I preached the first time I spoke to New Song as we echo the question that the disciples asked, who is this? You know, I'm sure many of us have heard sermons on this text about Jesus and the boat in the storm and calming the waves. So I'm not gonna get into the, really the details of the story. Uh, actually, sometimes the story is taken in what is called an allegorical sense. And we've been looking at the parables and in a parable, it's important to kind of understand 
what is the correlation between the thing that Jesus is talking about and, and what it's meant to represent in the kingdom. So the, the sower and the seed, and the seed was the word of God, and the soil was kind of the hearts of people, and there was different kinds of soil. And I think sometimes people do that with the story, and we start getting into ideas about the storm as a storm of life, and that we're, we're meant to pray in the storm, and Jesus will calm the storm. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard many... Uh, uh, sermons or messages. Some of us have heard many messages along those lines, but here's the thing. This is talking about an actual event. This is not a parable. And so we have to be careful because these allegories can break down quite quickly. Uh, number one, Jesus is not asleep while we go through storms. We don't need to wake him up. He is fully present, fully present in all the storms of life, if that's what we want to say that this is the comparison. And secondly, when we pray, the storms don't become completely calm. Oftentimes, you know, we have all the faith in the world and Jesus is fully awake to our processes and our situations and the storms continue to rage. But we're simply, he's calling us to walk by faith together, to trust him regardless of the circumstances. So we're not gonna get into all the details and the weeds of this passage because really the main point of this passage is that it causes us to discover more of who Jesus is. That's what Mark is doing. That's why this series is called This Is Jesus. By the end, we're hoping to have a much more rounded, filled in, a really beautiful picture that maybe is new to us of who this man Jesus is. And that's what the gospels are all about. So we're gonna go do this again. This is kind of like three years ago, but today this is who is this revisited? You know, this question, who is this, was asked a lot during Jesus' ministry. We've seen this already in Mark. There's been these moments. Jesus cast out demons and the people were like, oh, who is this? Uh, he forgave this, gave forgiveness and healing to a paralyzed man. He was lowered in through the roof and the people are wondering, who is this? Uh, the Gospel of John, it talks about the Pharisees and scribes and they're starting to wonder what's going on and Jesus says, these, he says to them that I told you you would die in your sins unless you believe and the response they said to him, who are you? Who are you? Uh, we had Palm Sunday a couple of weeks ago and, and that picture of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and Matthew in his gospel describes it, that the crowds that went before him, they were followed, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Oh, there's an answer, maybe a title. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Who is this? That's the kind of response that seems to be elicited by Jesus. And but sometimes we seem so confident that we think we know already. Jesus highlighted this question for all time, for all people, when he asked his disciples, his closest followers, directly the question, who do you say I am? And that question, I think, echoes through all time and remains relevant for all people in all places, but especially for the church. So why is this question so important? And what kind of question is this? Well, this is a question of theology. And before you switch off and go like, theology, I'm out. Uh, as boring as that may sound, perhaps to some of us, theology really matters. And if we think about it quite simply, in its most essential, we are all theologians. Because theology is simply understanding our beliefs about God. What do we think about when we think of God and who he is and what that's all about? And it really has a powerful effect on on what we do, how we live, how we respond to life's circumstances and to other people and to ourselves and what we do with our bodies. Theology is important. And our theology, my theology, is always uh, about where I stand. It's about my perspective, my vantage point. 
how do we get there? So I, right now, today, I, I could tell you probably what I think who, who Jesus is. It might be different from some other people, but how do we get there? How do we get to a point of having a particular theology or a vantage point? Have you ever considered that? Who is this? Who is he? And how did you come to understand what you believe about Jesus right now? For example, um, there, are, there are four ways that people typically say that we come to these understandings. And the first is scripture. And this is a really good place to start because it says all scripture is given so we can understand and, and grow and have knowledge and, and God uses that. But think about this, it kind of depends on your interpretation. Also, first of all, depends on whether we ever actually open our Bibles and read the scriptures. Um, but also when you read, what presuppositions do you bring to the reading of the Bible? It's gonna affect probably how you interpret it and perhaps how you interpret who Jesus is. So scripture, second thing is tradition. Jesus had a lot of negative things to say about tradition. We know that, but, but it definitely, it, it, it's not necessarily bad. There's some good traditions, but it can have an effect either positively, positively or negatively, but it definitely has an effect on what we believe on our theology. Uh, so for example, what have you been taught and who taught you? How did you come through tradition or that which is passed on to you to understand who Jesus is? Perhaps what is your family's Jesus tradition? What is New Song's Jesus tradition, right? Whatever church group you've been part of in the past. Is Jesus mostly a judgmental God or is Jesus mostly a gracious, gentle God? What takes Jesus off most? Does Jesus love some countries more than others? Some groups of people more than others? Fourth, the third thing, sorry, is reason. Reason, logic, understanding, knowledge. It's not entirely antithetical to faith. Often people say reason and faith are kind of duking it out and they're, they're contrary to one another. But our faith is a reasoned faith. If you know anything about C.S. Lewis, many of his books, such as uh, Mere Christianity, seeks to have a reasoned representation or presentation of how reasonable the Christian faith is. And that's how he came to faith, because he reasoned, actually. Finally, of course, he had to make a step of faith, but to get to that point, he really thought it through. Our, our faith, the events of, of this faith happened on earth, in history. Our story makes a great deal also of, this, of sense of the world as we see it. If you think about yourself and the world around you, this Christian story makes a lot of sense. Uh, the fourth thing is experience. Experience, often this is discounted, especially in, our, uh, in an evangelical sense of things. It's very much about truth propositions and biblical doctrine, but experience surely must be a lot about how we learn things, for we are experiential creatures. Um, much of the history of the church before the Bible was given, printing started, etc., people lived, out, learned about Jesus often through their experiences of him. And we have a rationalist age and we can kind of dismiss this too quickly. I think that's unfortunate because sometimes young people who, who are in the church, they fail to see anything that they experience of the faith and all they are ever given is propositions of what they should believe. And that's unfortunate. They say nothing ever seemed to happen, but I heard a lot of talking, right? So experience is important. Think about this, the disciples in the boat with Jesus that day, how did they gain more understanding of him? Well, pretty much all about experience. They witnessed something real that caused them to ask the question, who is this? And I want to know more about him. So I have three questions for us all to consider. The first thing is, who is this Jesus from where you and I stand today? 
Who is Jesus from where you stand today? The second thing is, do we recognize that we may quite possibly be, be limited or even wrong-headed in our understanding about that, the answer to that question? And this consequently may be having a negative effect on our ability to live in, in this kingdom life to which we are called, which is centrally focused on the person of Jesus. That's where it gains all of its shape and color and, and sound and everything about it. Third thing, how strong is our desire today to grow in our knowledge of Jesus? Because he's a wild man. This is a wild ride. And therefore, have our mission in this world and this community undergo a radical transformation over time, which, like we said, change, and it's hard. It's going to be difficult. So for the purposes of organization and hopefully understanding, I'm going to break down this question itself using just the very components of this question, who is this? So the first thing speaks of personality and relationship is the word who. The second speaks of reality, the word is is. And the third thing is this, who is this, speaks of specificity and uniqueness. So the first thing, who, personality and relationship. The question is not what is Jesus, but who is Jesus? Of course, it would be really strange for these people in the boat that day to ask the question, uh, what are you or what is that or what is he? But yeah, I think sometimes we live our lives for much of the time with a what Jesus rather than a who Jesus. So what's the difference? Well, a what Jesus is more akin to like a genie in a lamp or to Santa Claus. It's transactional. It's a simple transaction, understandable rules of engagement and kind of a static relationship. So for, for example, rub the lamp, make a wish and get a wish granted. There's no personality there. Write a letter to Santa on the 24th of December, leave cookies and a glass of milk and a carrot for the reindeer and presents will appear under the tree. Or like candles or a flashlight, we know where they are in case of a power outage, but we don't really interact much with them in everyday life. Or even this last one, a very Christian thing, pray, read your Bible, be a nice person, bingo, you get what you need. These are transactions. This is Jesus, the shopkeeper, so what about a who Jesus rather than a what Jesus? Well, a who Jesus is a person, a person, a personality. What does it mean to be or have and be a personality and to engage with the personality? Well, a personality is to have opinions and perspectives and moral self-determination, intelligence, consciousness. So we say Jesus is a person. What kind of personality is Jesus? Well, he is the one who is always self-giving, always seeking, always saving, forgiving, sacrificial. He is, in his personality, he is ever interested, unconditionally loving and completely wise and, and lives out from his character so perfectly in all of his actions and his engagements with his creation. And furthermore, who is about relationship? One of the greatest strengths, I'd say, of the evangelical movement as it kind of came up and actually I'd really just say the Christian tradition actually more broadly is its insistence on a personal relationship with Jesus as a central necessity of the Christian experience. There's an old hymn, you may know it, uh, in the garden it's called and it says he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there than other has ever known. There's a unique engagement when this is a person. 
and it's central. This is, you can have a relationship. It is ever present. His personality alongside my personality and this union, this connection, this communion. And, and, and Jesus, this person, is always inviting me into his adventures because to be caught up in this relationship means to be caught up into what he's all about. And it's always going to call us into putting our feet forward into this path. And these adventures come from his personality. What we do is always about other people and an orientation to his kingdom. And an invitation is always part of this personality and this engagement to come and join him and participate. And, and there's a movement to it. If you read in the gospel to discover who Jesus is, he's always moving out to the margins and he expects us to move with him to go there. The text that we're reading today, he's, first thing he says, is, let us go over to the other side. The other side of what? Well, the Lake of Sea of Galilee. What was over on the other side? It was the Gentiles. But Jesus, we are Jewish men. We don't go there. We don't go there. He says, we're going to the other side. This person calls person to person in a movement. So here's, here's a wonderful thing. As we're called to grow into people who find ourselves becoming like him in the core of our personality. But as we do so, we become more uniquely and beautiful who we actually are in our personality. So first thing is Jesus a what or a who for me? for you or do we waver between the two sometimes you know you can't ever really love a Jesus that's a what but a who Jesus this is the this is a loving relationship here so second point the second word is is the disciples asked the disciples asked who is this and there was never one who was more is than Jesus is speaks of reality Ultimate reality is. One of the most shocking things that Jesus ever said in his culture, in his day, in his religious world, was the phrase, I am. I am. This was the name in the Old Testament that God used for himself. When Moses said, you're sending me to Egypt to say, set my people free. Who shall I tell them sent me? And God said, I am sent you. It's the uh, self-existent, doesn't need anything else to exist. This is the name of God in the Old Testament that God used of himself. So when Jesus uses the words, I am, this is a radical step. In saying I am, Jesus is expressing ultimate reality in a way that can never really be fully grasped or understood by our finite minds. It is immense. This is this reality. We could ponder these words for all eternity and never exhaust their meaning. I'm gonna read you a portion from the letter to the Colossians that the apostle Paul wrote. Just notice this concept of is, of reality, of who Jesus is. And it says in chapter one, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to him reconcile him sorry to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross he is gospel of john there's these amazing little uses of this phrase i am that john records that jesus said and there are seven of them. You may have heard of these before. But he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the true vine. And so Jesus is, he was and he is. And all of these facets of him being real were perfectly visible in the sight of his followers, his family, even his, his enemies as we have seen. And as we've been seeing in the Gospel of Mark, each of these groups reacted according to their own perception of who Jesus is. And there were many ways that people did that uh, with him as they saw this man, this one who is so how do we react? How do we connect? How do people react with the reality that Jesus is? Well, one really important, vital, central way that we need to understand and think about is the fact that Jesus is still here today. He is alive. And one way in which he does this is through his body, which is the church. The I am still is. And remarkably, terrifyingly, actually, if you think about it, he is through the church through his followers. And it was, that's why he was kind of sending them out. They were his representatives, his ambassadors, carrying the message around Jerusalem and then on into the known world. And even we are in the legacy of that today. So when Jesus says, I am the life, the church, our church says through words and actions, for anyone who has given up on life, there is life here a new song in this community and, and generosity and possibility, life, abundance. When Jesus says, I am light, who is this? Jesus says, I am light. Our church says, for those who are stuck in darkness, there is light, illumination, understanding, laughter, hope, and joy in this community. When Jesus says, I am truth, our church says, in a world of lies, where you have been burned, we are truth tellers. Here you will find integrity and consistency. We will tell you the hard things and we will tell you the gracious things and we will be honest about them. Jesus says, I am love, our church says. All you who are victims of degraded love, whether at the hands of others or through your own choices or exploitation, loneliness, fear, we will love you wholeheartedly and unconditionally, and we'll show you where to find the love that never fails, always hopes, always believes, always perseveres. And there's something about this, the kind of proof of the pudding kind of thing is in the eating. It really, when it's happening, it can't really be dismissed, rejected, ridiculed. There'll be something real that cannot be denied because it's a growing experience amongst a community of people for whom this is real and true. Much of the world says, prove it. And the church is supposed to say, come and see. But we also take it with us wherever we go. I'm not talking about a gathered church building. I'm talking about wherever his body goes. You know, but we're not perfect, right? We're messy. We say that a lot. 
So the important thing is that the I am still is, and he, he, he shows that, the reality of that through the church, through the body, but we're always understanding our own weakness and our failure and our brokenness and our, and our messiness. So we're always pointing past ourselves. We're a big sign pointing to the real true one who is, who truly is and who is sufficient and who really truly is all we need. The third word is this, and it speaks of specificity and uniqueness. This rather than that. It's about the uniqueness of Jesus. Now this was expressed many, many times. We've heard it already in the Gospel of Mark. Many times about Jesus was expressed the uniqueness of who he is. That he had authority, not like the teachers of the law. Uh, The text about the storm on the lake uh, and the next two sections of Mark are designed specifically to show how unlike any other authority Jesus is. There's a couple of songs from the past that I really like. One by Matt Redman about, about uh, nothing but the blood it's called. And it says, your blood speaks a better word than, that means it's his sacrifice, what he has done for us. Speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. It speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. And the song, you may know the song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here begins with, there's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your our living hope, your presence, Lord. The uniqueness. We don't dare dig from another well, drink from another bottle, fuel our ministry, our mission with anything but Jesus. It's very tempting to seek to use other means and we slide into it constantly as the church in America by which to build up our churches, especially in this kind of dynamic, competitive world of church growth. There's always a bigger, better, more entertaining, relevant, dynamic, hip church down the road or across the street. And, and as I firmly believe that we should be the best. We should enter with great seriousness and passion and strategic creativity into competition with all the other churches, but only in one particular thing. And that is to seek in all we do to reserve the central place for Jesus. Jesus's will, Jesus's mission, Jesus's power, Jesus's freedom, evaluation, Jesus's discipline, Jesus's healing, Jesus's financial provision, dependence upon Jesus in every aspect of our ministries, our relationships and our community engagement. Our missional lives as a church and as individuals will only be as strong as our conviction that Jesus is the only location for hope, healing, peace between enemies, forgiveness, life now and into eternity. In conclusion, really, Jesus is the fuel for our mission. He is the source for all that we need and all that we have. So I leave us really with a question that I asked three years ago and I ask again today because it's the question that Jesus asked his disciples and the question that he asks us. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Is this Jesus whom you know today different than the Jesus you knew as a child or a young adult or during the middle years of your life? There's no end to what you can understand and know and grow in this relationship with this personality who is and who is unique and specifically himself. We always need to be growing That's one of the primary functions of the church is not to provide an enjoyable experience. It's to equip us in our own journeys to understand to a greater extent who Jesus is and let that shape and form our lives in that mold and do that together. 
Brother Lawrence, who wrote the book, The Practice of the Presence of God, wrote, let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress or in times of great joy because Jesus is is moved by our troubles, but he is not diminished in any way and his presence and power is available to us regardless of our circumstances. And he is always relevant, always sufficient, always calling us to trust him as they did with the boat. They're saying, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we die? And he stands up and he says, calm, be still. The storm is calmed. But that's not the biggest amazement. The biggest amazement is when he actually can calm the hearts of his disciples, that they can learn to grow in trust. That even if the storms rage, they're at peace because they're with him and he is with them but he said to them why are you still so afraid do you not yet have faith but they had a little faith we have a little faith and we want to let that grow and it's going to be all about our ability to be open to receive Jesus and continue to walk with him together as we do that so we're going to call everyone today if you're watching at nine o'clock to come to the campus, to come to New Song. And, and Jesus is the reason why we're calling people to do that. You know, we've got some plans uh, which we've been sharing about how we move forward in this time. And there's many dynamics and opinions that you could have to critique or have different ones. There's many ways that we could do this thing, but we're trying to chart a course that speaks most loudly to one another and also to our community of the reality of Jesus who he is. So come to the campus today to hear more about our plans for moving forwards as a, as a community into new fertile soil that Jesus has been tilling up in us and sowing seeds into. We want to be growing. So come to hear about that. Come to the campus today to worship Jesus. Come to the campus today because he invites you to the table to participate in communion with the people of God as we take this bread and this cup. Come to the campus today to show the world and all of uh, the, the spiritual world that is watching that you are a disciple and that you are his. Come to the campus today to pray for our neighbors. And I want to say, if for any reason you cannot come today, I want to make sure that you are still connected. And I want to especially make sure that you can still take communion. So right now, if you are watching this at nine o'clock in the morning and uh, we want to know if you for some reason can't come, but we'd like to take communion and we will make sure that a pastor or an elder connects, connects with you this week so that we can do that. So we can again bring you, loop you into the body through that, that beautiful thing that Jesus gave us to remember his death and to recognize the reality of the body, the fellowship. And we want you to be part of that. Uh, who is Jesus? You know, we're discovering the answer to that question as we go and we'll discover together as we in diversity and unity seek to truly grow into who he is as, as people. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we, we simply want to turn our eyes towards Jesus. We want to learn from him. We want to follow him. Uh, we're pretty clear that that's going to cost us something. You're pretty clear about that. We want to lay down our lives in order to find them. Uh, we want to walk in his footsteps. We want to, to grow beyond our basic human nature. Uh, as the disciples 
we're challenged to grow and find ourselves living out of a new nature, that which we couldn't apparently do before. And we want this community to see that you reside in and among us, that we are your friend, that you are our friend, and that you're welcoming people to, to join a community. Not to build up the, the, the church known as New Song, but truly uh, to live out um, the call to be people who are ambassadors for you, who love others just for the sake uh, of sharing that love that you have poured out on us. Uh, be with us, Lord. Challenge us, grow us, change us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.